The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Time Masters, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, June 7th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, listeners. And Professor X. Hello, listeners. Listeners of Northunderland. I don't know how to pronounce that shit. Anyway, let's jump into our discussion of Season 6, Episode 5, which was titled The Satanist Apprentice and aired June 6th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Be careful what you wish for. With Astra, now immortal, she finds it hard to adapt to the real world with no guidance from Constantine. Frustrated and lonely, Astra makes a new friend who promises to help her, and her eagerness for the easy way out could have some real repercussions for those closest to her. Meanwhile, Sarah meets the person responsible for her kidnapping and tries to convince others to help her escape. Okay, so this was Astra's episode. It, it feels like whenever, well, I shouldn't even say it feels like, whenever there's a new uh, cast member, we always get uh, an episode that's dedicated to them. A lot of times it's an episode that deals with time loops. We did not get a time loop this time around, although those, those have been effective in the past. But this was Astra's um time to shine so let's start off with the opening with poor astra you know living a groundhog day type of life no money no internet uh leaky uh, pipes uh electricity sometimes uh, we kind of um gain a sort of understanding of like when this is happening with John sort of like consistently popping in from the wave rider from the various missions and this sort of thing. But Astra is incredibly frustrated. You know, she's trying to live the mortal life. She, she has no help from Constantine. She has no money. Uh, she barely had, uh, enough to buy a baguette that, um, turned incredibly soggy. I don't know if I would have eaten that baguette. But, uh, yeah, poor Astra. She's down on her luck. Uh, Professor, what would you think of uh, how the episode started and the premise for the episode? Because this is Astra's episode, and we're getting, uh, we, we, pretty much from the start, we're getting everything from Astra's POV. 
Oh, very well done. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, you know, often you'll have this, you know, uh, a character disappears and, you know, we meet them again a few episodes later and, you know, whatever has happened has just happened in the background. Uh, you know, obviously we would have gotten the, uh, you know, the, the Satanist Apprentice stuff, but, you know, getting her trying to adjust to life above, to, you know, dealing with, you know, the money and, you know, the power being out and, you know, that absolutely spectacular splash, uh, you know, from the passing car, which was uh, amazing. Um, I've never seen a splash like that. Uh, very well. I mean, really, uh, you know, and, and again, I don't know to what extent this was written into the script, to what extent it was uh, uh, Katie Lotz's uh, direction. But, you know, um, uh, the, the splash, the uh, the way that, you know, as, you know, time progressed, you know, the uh, the sort of Groundhog Day uh, reference to the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the clock and also, you know, that gradually, you know, she has fewer and fewer clothes because she can't wash them. Uh, she runs out of makeup, so her makeup changes over time. She becomes as plain looking, and that's in air quotes, as Olivia Swan can look, which is not very plain, but still, you know, congratulations to them for finding a way to make her look, you know, less goddess-like than she usually does. Uh, I thought it was just very effective, you know, a way of showing, you know, not only the passage of time, but her increasing frustration. And, you know, and again, you know, uh, very much the show don't tell. You know, we're seeing the progression of it. And as you realize what's going on, uh, it all makes sense. And again, just, you know, little, you know, touches, you know, so after the the splash scene, we have you know the uh, the encounter with the uh, the racist neighbor, and what I'm sure was a racist dog, you know, white dogs like, like that. They're all racist. Mm-hmm. Um, what had to be a directorial touch uh, was uh, you know when uh, Astra is you know confronting John, uh, you know uh, in the. Um, uh, in his house, you know, uh, as she's there, you know, and the baguette is sticking out and, you know, you can see, you know, a drop of water forming on the baguette and dripping off, you know, just to remind us of what she's gone through, which was, you know, just delightfully, delightfully done. It was very, uh, you know, uh, capably directed and, uh, you know, really sort of set up the situation that she was in, uh, you know, sort of giving us the explanation for what she was going to do later. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, props to Katie Lotz. You you uh, jumped into that uh, before I said it, but I'm glad you did. Uh, she directed the episode, and uh, she did a fantastic job. Um, the germaphobe in me would not have eaten that baguette. Um, sort of like sewer water or, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's... No. No, that's gross. Uh, but the splash was fantastic. Like, I can't even imagine, A, experiencing that in real life, and B, I can't even imagine how many takes that had to happen. Like, I wonder if they had to do multiple takes and poor Olivia Swan had to get drenched each and every time to get the right splash because that was a spectacular splash. That's the type of splash that just ruins your whole fucking day. <laughs> and it ruined hers. I mean, let's be for real about it. Okay, so Astra, frustrated with everything, um... She uh, she starts looking at like the the china and the stuff the, the the sort of like the the tchotchkes of the house, and I think and, and it wasn't something that was really explained, but I was like I think she's gonna pawn some of this stuff to make some money because she has no money and she needs money, uh, you know she can't threaten people uh, anymore to like you know. Uh, get their blood for her blood pool, which she misses. Um, so, like, none of that is effective on uh, Earth, on the mortal ground. So, I think she's going to pawn some stuff. And she goes up to the attic, and she's looking, and she's like, oh, you know, all this really fancy stuff. And she runs into a painting that talks to her. 
He introduces himself as Alistair Crawley. We, we've we heard this name this season a couple times already. A man that's, um, you know, a... Um, you know, he's um, a uh, purveyor of the dark arts, and uh, he's obsessed with this idea that there's alien magic out there that he wants to get his hands on and that sort of thing. And uh, we had learned in a previous episode that John uh, sort of snatched him out of hell to uh, confer with him about something and then trapped him in the painting. And uh, he basically offers to teach Astra magic and uh it all sounds really tempting to astra because her life is completely sucking at the moment and so he starts off with some simple stuff and it's working and uh she's uh adapting really well to the magic and so he convinces her to give him a body and uh, she agrees, so she tells him that uh, she will get him out of the painting for 12 hours so that he can teach her magic. And the person that ends up, that he ends up, uh, whose body he ends up inhabiting is Constantine. So Constantine is trapped in a painting, and, um, and uh, Matt Ryan is uh, playing uh, Aleister Crawley for much of the episode. Uh, Millie, let's talk about this. Astra being tempted by Crawley to to learn magic, to Astra wanting to have magic in her life to make her life easier, and then getting to see Matt Ryan, our Constantine, uh, play a very different character. I feel like, in a way, Constantine deserved becoming a patent because this is what happens when you don't <laughs> take care of your tenant. <laughs> well, there you go. They're yes. crazy, and then they go translate stuff, and then you know, turn you into a painting. Um, I thought that uh, I, I'd love that like whole thing because it makes sense. Like she, for the longest time, it's been the easy way, and it makes sense. You know, you you do the college try, and it doesn't go well. You get a soggy baguette with no Wi-Fi. Uh, of course, you want to go to to go do the magic, and that's exactly why the, the guy Carl was able to pawn on that so I think that was a great kind of story or to explore with her because um, she's an interesting person and she does seem like this person that hasn't had to like work really hard and she's always had that and to see that temptation and then to see what transpires when you go into it um, is a, a good lesson to see and for us to explore and then Constantine playing Crowley was it was great Matt Ryan did a great job playing someone completely different um, and you could really see that difference and just the little nuances that he did to make him different from Constantine, I thought was really fun um, to see all that and just watch him be someone different and not as like what negative, growly, sassy kind of Constantine that we're used to. True. Professor, I want to get your take on uh, Matt Ryan as Aleister Crawley as well. We always talk about uh, our joy of seeing the cast play different iterations of themselves. This was a completely different character that uh, Matt had to take on. Uh, what did you think of uh, his interpretation of Crowley? Oh, it was great. And and yeah, as you said, we always love it when the uh, characters get to play something different, whether it's, you know, them being possessed by someone or uh, or, you know, playing a different version of themselves. Uh, I thought he did a, a really great job, you know, just changing his voice, changing his mannerisms, uh, everything about him, uh, you know, was different. You know, it was very easy to be reminded that, you know, this is not Constantine in there. So I think everything he did in that was was really effective. 
100%. Yes, I, I agree with everything. Uh, so, uh, continuing on. So, we have, uh, we have scenes where Crowley is teaching astromagic, but a lot of it is really just illusions. Uh, you know, she, she turns trash into riches, but then uh, the riches turn back into trash. So, they're basically just glamour spells. And, uh... Crawley basically tells her, you know, we're we're going to need to create this amulet um, so that uh, you know you you'll suck in the soul of someone, and then that'll give you the power to really, um, you know, master the dark arts and and to level up, for lack of a better word. So uh, Astra does have uh, an idea as to whose soul she's going to take. But before anything can happen, the legends return. They, uh, you know, we pick up uh, on the story beat that was introduced at the tail end of the previous episode. The legends do not have the wave rider. You know, they were sort of stumbled their way through this small um, English town to find. Uh, the Constantine house, and, uh, you know, they're there, they're hungry, they're crabby, this, that, or the other, um, to, uh, you know, shut them up, she ends up transforming all of them into uh, uh, inanimate objects. Uh, we had, what was it, a wheel of cheese, we had a candle, we had a fork, we had a binder, and we had a flip phone. Let's talk about this. The the various items that they inhabited, I felt the majority of them were really appropriate. Um, there were there was maybe one or two that I didn't understand. So, Professor, what did you think of the legends, and what they turned into, and why they turned into what they turned into? Well, the the reintroduction of the legends uh, was great because it was just the legends being the legends, right? You know, uh, completely oblivious to the uh, the tone of the room and everything they asked for was something, you know, which would have been designed to piss her off. You know, uh, you know, uh, Nate is asking for food and hey, there's no food here. Um, uh, uh, Ava's asking, you know, uh, you know, what's the router? And of course, she can't get the, uh, the, the Wi-Fi and all of that. So, you know, everything they did was was designed to press her buttons and cause her to react like that. Uh, I loved it. I loved what they changed into Ava turning into a binder. I thought that was just hilarious. Um, you know, the decision to have Zari turn into a flip phone, you know, she probably would have you know, obviously been an iPhone. But, you know, the flip phone allows her to open and close her mouth. So that made sense. Uh, perhaps the funniest, I thought, was, uh, you know, and Bayrod as a candle. Well, he's always smoking stuff. That kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Spooner turns into a fork because, of course, Spoon is going to be a fork. Oh, yes. That was that, good. Well, I mean, that's that, that's that's headcanon, obviously. The reason she was a fork was so that she could pick the lock. You know, you can't pick a lock with a spoon. Sure. Um, but, uh, no, I thought, and, and, you know, honestly, the, the as soon as I saw Ava was a binder, I just went, okay, you got me. That is so freaking funny. And also, also, you know, later on, you know, um, in the upcoming animated scenes, you know, Ava's binder changes into other types of books, which, you know, is a nice little uh, quiet joke. Oh, a little. Um, oh, when um, I, I'll forget to mention this in the, uh, the uh, added section. But when um, uh, when Astra was looking for jobs and, and circling jobs, one of the ones that she did was a, a puppet uh, uh, repairer. 
Uh, so that's a little, you know, probably a little, you know, because of the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the legends do have a tendency to to go puppet centric at times. The other one that she'd circled beside it was a, an executive assistant for a wealthy family. Um, and it would be an executive assistant to someone who'd been on a private island for some time and needed to be readjusted to uh, life in society. I wonder if that was a, a, a subtle little Oliver Queen joke. Because uh, this was happening in the past, right? No, this is present day. Are you sure? There was a moment where I was confused because it seemed hella 80s in the beginning. Uh, but no, this is present day. Uh, I think it's just, uh, you know, the technology in the Constantine house isn't that fantastic. So I think that's why the the, the alarm clock and the television, uh, it, I, I think, yeah, I think that's what it had to deal with. Uh, Constantine just doesn't update his stuff. But yeah, this was present day. Okay, because, I mean, technically, weren't the uh, the legends stranded in the 1960s in the last episode? See, that's the thing that was confusing, because I found that confusing as well, because they were stranded in, in the... It looked like they were stranded in the past, but I guess because of... Uh, not to sound like a poser, the timey-wiminess of it all, uh, I, I think when the legends were dropped by Mick, it was supposed to be the present. And they they did have like one little you know possible you know uh, you know hand waving don't think about this too much which was that you know before the legends come in you did hear the sound of their their portal opening so mm-hmm. you know, presumably one of them has one of the watch portals which is you know how they got from Cuba to wherever they are yes and that also helps if it, if we were thinking of just time that would have helped as well I think yeah it would because if yeah yeah because Constantine was using that portal to go back to um to save the people uh, at the burger place, which that was in the past, so yeah, so that would have fixed things anyway okay uh wait oh wait, the cheese, Nate being the cheese he's cheesy, okay, perfect i mean honestly if if nate if it hadn't been Nate then uh Ray you know, uh, last season would have been the cheese because he oh, was yeah. the, the big cheesy guy. But mm-hmm. Nate's sort of taken on that role now. So I think it made sense. Okay, yes, I can dig it. So, Astra calls up the racist neighbor to um, to give him a, a lamp that she had found in the attic. And that's all a ruse to get him over so that she can suck his soul up into this, um, you know, amulet, for lack of a better word. And uh, so that she can uh, continue learning magic and all that kind of stuff. The legends hear everything and in their inanimate object selves, you know, try to convince her not to do it. And at a certain point, you know, she keeps on sort of like brushing them off, brushing them off. But then at one point, uh, Bayrod, out of all of them, is is the one that sort of like gives the line, which is, you know, sh- yeah, you know, his soul, whatever, whatever. But we're worried about your soul and what this is going to do to you. You know, don't do this. And um, she almost does it. She doesn't do it. Um, the man gives her many ample reasons to do it but she doesn't and she tries to rush him out and then uh, Alistair ends up doing it and he ends up putting it on and we learn that uh, probably this amulet was was a means to protect him all along because the spell that she was going to use to swap Constantine out for him no longer works 
and uh, we see Crowley in control of the entire situation. So before we continue on and talk about the animated adventure, Millie, let's talk about Astra and the Temptation. So, uh, what do you think of her being tempted to, uh, you know, basically kill the neighbor? And uh, what do you think of, in particular, Bayrod's line? Because uh, I thought that one was was really important. I don't blame Asher. That neighbor was annoying, so he deserved it. <laughs> he deserved it. Yes. Well, I agree. If any of Millie's neighbors are listening, uh, be very careful. I know, right? You know, if she starts waving around a necklace in front of them, you run. I don't think my neighbors moved out, so I don't know if that's a correlation there, but... <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, but, no, I don't, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it was the only human interaction she had, so he was going to be the person that she picked. Um, in terms of Bayra's line, I, I'm... I was surprised it came from Bayrod, but I'm glad it did because he can be a, a wise guy sometimes. <laughs> and I think in, in a way, uh, it, if it comes from the unsuspected one, you're more likely to, to connect with it. Um, and I'm glad he was able to get through to her. Absolutely. Let's talk about the animated adventure. So, Crowley... Well, before we do that, oh, Jeff, yes. Jeff, can we just have a quick sidebar? Absolutely. Um, when Millie said her neighbors moved out, did you hear scare quotes there? Like maybe the neighbors just disappeared one night and have never been heard from since? I did, but I didn't want to say anything yeah. because she scares me. No, that's probably wise. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about something happy. The animation. of We get a uh, an entire section of the episode that turns into a Disney princess film basically because Crowley is like you know you were going to be the queen and this is out of the other but you basically didn't have the balls to do what you needed to do so you're just playing sort of like the pathetic princess and uh, he transforms um, Astro's world into a Disney animated princess film Um, so We're going to talk about the animation. The action, basically, that happens here is them thwarting Crowley. Uh, He plans on, um, you know, sucking up the souls of the legends. We get, you know, uh, much more name drops of this fountain of Imperium, of this sort of uh, alien magic that is out there. And at the end of the day, it is Astra that saves the day because she ends up finding in a little notebook uh, this spell that her mother had been working on that would, uh, um, for lack of a better word, neuter someone for magic. You know, completely remove magic from them, and that's what thwarts Crowley. We'll talk about uh, the other ramification of that in a moment. Let's focus on the animation. What do we think of this section? Um, what do we think of... Yeah, what do we think of this section? I mean, this was sort of like the climax of the Crowley uh, storyline. What do we think of it, uh, Professor? Try to put yourself in the mindset of someone, you know, sitting down watching the CW at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. I've never heard of this show before. Oh, well, it seems like a lot of characters, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. And then halfway through, this happens. This is a show that you simply, uh, it's, you know, and and I love the fact that they do this, but it's like Legends has realized, look, we've got these people who are going to tune in every week. 
we're never going to get the big numbers. We're never going to get, you know, the, uh, the larger audience. So to hell with them. We're just going to do what we do best. And uh, I loved it. Like it was so insanely cheesy and funny and, and crazy and inexplicable uh, and well done too. Like I was afraid it would be, you know, cheap ass animation, something like that, but no, this really looked like, you know, Disney level animation. It looked good. It, uh, it, it, it was hilarious uh, and really well done. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the singing of it and, you know, the self-aware realization that I'm singing, I'm going to stop singing now. Uh, the, you know, the animated manifestations of legends characters, uh, was great. Uh, boy, it just, it was so stupid and hilarious, but really, uh, I think I just summed up the entire show. Yes. It was very Beauty and the Beast too, which I loved. Uh, the fact that the legends were inanimate objects, it was very reminiscent of Beauty and the Beast. I mean, even, um, uh, Bayrod, uh, lighting Crowley's ass on fire was uh, Beauty and the Beast, Reference. I mean, it was fantastic. Millie, I want to get your take on it as well. What do you think of the animation? Uh, what do you think of uh, just everything that that happened during the animated sequence? Their takedown of Crawley. I think Professor summed it up like right on the nose. Like it is just so crazy, but it works because it's legends. Um, I go the start off with like an up kind of eighties beat montage of Asher getting ready now we're all the way in animated people like the zero to 60 is crazy but I was for it um and I love how they did it uh and, and the way that they took it down was the most like Disney animated way to do it and just seeing like the legends be animatedly like strapped down by like a magical you know like symbol on the ground I just thought was just something really funny about that and then I like how they all kind of work together to help Astra defeat him and the singing of course um and it was all just so funny but because it was towards the end of the episode I was just all for it and it was a nice way to defeat a big bad in a way that they haven't before it's yeah. not like a weekly bad sorry yeah, no, it, it was very, it was cutesy in, in a fantastic kind of way. There was a part of me that really wanted more of the animation. Like, I could watch an entire animated episode. Well, technically, we will be getting an animated adventure uh, this holiday season with the Bebo animated special. So maybe that'll sort of satiate my need for more animation um, with the Legends. But... Uh, it was fantastic. I, I do wish we had more because it was just so damn good. But it was probably hella expensive, so I completely understand why we didn't get more. Uh, props to Katie Lotz because I would assume she also had to direct this. And so she got the chance to direct an animated sequence. I mean, that's kind of neat. Uh, uh, there aren't that many CW-verse directors that get the chance to direct an animated sequence. So... That was, you know, some really good uh, um, knowledge that she has in her bank for later on in the future if she ever decides to do anything in animation again. So one of the ramifications of this spell, so everything, they go back to humans, the, the legends are no longer inanimate objects, Crowley is back in his painting, and uh, he's once again trapped up in the attic. But Constantine fills Astra in on the additional ramification, and it's the fact that it removed his magic. And he is now, you know, a non-magic person. He's going to have to learn magic again. And because of everything that's happened, you know, he finally, he finally hears Astra, and he apologizes 
for, you know, what she has had to go through. The fact that he didn't prepare her, that he thought he, um, he, you know, he thought she was going to be fine, but uh, she needed uh, help in coping with being immortal now. So he offers to help her. Well, he offer he basically says, let's help each other, you know, learn magic. And she takes him up on that offer. So let's talk about the storyline potential here. So it's going to be Constantine and Astra learning magic together. We do have, you know, the, uh, I guess it's a Chekhov's gun situation because they have brought up the idea, the concept of alien magic and this fountain of Imperium a couple times this, this so far this season. Uh, clearly, that will be found, I'm guessing. Hell, it might even be, you know, on, on the same uh, planet that uh, Sarah's in. We'll talk about Sarah in a moment. Uh, so clearly, that's going to help them, I would think. Um, Constantine without magic, uh, he has been using magic as a crutch. Uh, magic has also been something that's been incredibly beneficial to the legends. Uh, what, where do we think this goes? Uh, it, are we going to see a desperate Constantine without magic? Uh, are we just going to see, you know, um, a mini Hogwarts with Constantine and Astra learning magic? Uh, Millie, what's your take on, uh, Constantine being magicless. With his like look at the end, I I think we're gonna get like desperate Constantine. Maybe he'll try to feel it out for a bit, but I can see him tempting and maybe go back to Crowley to ask for more details. I feel like there was that enticing was there, um, and I think it's, he's at one point will revert back to find a shortcut. And we're talking about the asset to get his powers back. But now that you mentioned it, I think I would like just for him to go the Hogwarts route. I just want everyone to to go to magic school together. I think that'd be fun to watch. Professor, what about you? Yeah, I think there's a lot more humor to be uh, drawn from, you know, John going through the relearning process uh, alongside Astra. And I think, you know, th there was a danger with John because, you know, he was a little too OP at times, um, you know, and sort of, you know, uh, I agree with you that we are dealing with a, uh, you know, a Chekhov's uh, fount of, uh, of Imperium, that that's going to be, you know, what will, you know, restore him to something analogous to what he was before. Uh, and also, you know, the idea, you know, if they're going to be going off to alien worlds and stuff like that, the idea that there was alien magic, you know, sort of putting him back down uh, at ground zero makes sense. So uh, I think it, I think there will be a lot of, uh, of good uh, uh, humor potential in that. And I think it also, you know, resets his character in a way. He's no longer, you know, the one who's, you know, ridiculously more powerful uh, than everyone else on the crew. And I think, you know, that'll change the dynamic that he has with the team as well. So let's talk about Sarah. Sarah is, uh, she isn't on her own island. She's on her own planet. And she has a full-on conversation with uh, her kidnapper, Bishop. And he explains who he is. And can I just say, as a point of personal privilege, I was not expecting the storyline to go in this direction, but I'm so here for it. It was hella fascinating. Bishop, I guess technically, is from the future, because uh, he is the creator of the Ava clones. 
And his plan is to create human-alien hybrids that can populate the various planets. Like, it's just, it's wild and crazy. We are introduced to another Ava clone, which I think we should have expected because we, we saw that he had all the Ava clones in, in a previous episode. Uh, we're introduced to one that is uh, programmed to be Sarah's doctor slash, you know, nurse, whatever. Uh, and uh, Sarah tries to uh, reason with her. Like, you know, just take me to my ship. You know, I need a power source. And, you know, if there's any of my Ava in you, you know this is wrong. You know this is crazy. You know this is weird. Help me out. And Ava is like, no, you know, I, I'm programmed this out of the other. Uh, you know, I can't help you. Goodbye. Later on, Ava returns and is basically like, you know, you made sense. You know, um, this is wrong. You know, let me take you. Let, let's go. I have the power source right here. They go to the ship, and uh, it was all a ruse. Um, the other clones show up. Bishop shows up. He's like, that's just my nightlight. Um, Sarah takes them all out and and even snaps Bishop's neck. But then she gets darted and gets knocked out herself, and she's back to where she started, and Bishop is there, basically saying, now we're bonded even more. I should also make a little note that uh, even though uh, Bishop learns that all of his aliens that he had kidnapped, and, and all of these, not aliens, but also humans, and all these um, in incredible uh, warriors that he had kidnapped were... Um, you know, knocked out of the spaceship. He had been extracting their DNA, and his uh, his plan is that uh, Sarah is going to uh, teach them all how to fight and that sort of thing, and that's why he needs Sarah Lance. So let's talk about all of this. We learn about Bishop. We learn about what his plan is. Uh, we, we see Sarah having an adventure with Ava, what the hell did that end mean, though? You know, was a lot of that in Sarah's mind? Did what Was that bishop that was there on the ship, was that just a clone? Uh, yeah, what the hell happened? Uh, um, yeah, uh, I'm curious as to everyone's interpretation of it. Professor, I want to get your take on everything Sarah Lance. Uh, well, first off, if you were drawing up uh, an ideal big bad for the legends, uh, you would come up with Bishop. Totally crazy, but that hint of menace behind it, uh, sort of playing it himself up as, you know, sort of a, a tech bro type. Um, you know, the presentation scene was astonishing. But yeah, just that touch of malice at the end, the malevolence that reminds you that, you know, yeah, we have a lot of fun here and there's animation and songs and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's still a CW uh, Arrowverse show. And so there, there has to be that menace. As to what it means, that cryptic line about, you know, we're bonded uh, more strongly than ever before. I have no idea what that means. Uh, my suspicion is that it happened in her head, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know at all. I, I yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I'll say it again. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Because I'm, after 
when she wakes up. Because clearly she's in the blue outfit. So some of what happened was real. But was the her whole journey with Ava to the ship real? Or was he a clone? Because, I, mean, it, it, I mean, if he's creating clones, then it, it could make sense that he sent a clone of himself out to the ship. But, yeah, I'm hella confused in a good way. Millie, were you confused? What'd you think of Bishop? What'd you think of uh, Ava with a new wig? What'd you think of the end? And what does it mean? Oh, yes. I was very confused <laughs> with y'all. Um, first of all, Ava with the wig, like, Nurse Ava was so funny because <laughs> we're so used to, like, our serious uh, in-control leader, Ava, and then to see her kind of play a little bit aloof, super peppy Nurse Ava was really funny. Um, so very props to Jess Callen to be able to kind of play a totally different Ava there. In terms of, like, what is happening, I thought it was... And the, the last line, I was like, is it, like, I felt like it was some kind of test that Sarah was, because the way that she's so, without a doubt, killed Bishop felt a little interesting. And so I'm wondering if it was, like, a like a VR simulation or some, like, mind, like, they're bonded, like, mentally or some weird thing like that. Uh, I thought maybe that's what that means, and he can now control her or at least manipulate her do how he wants. Um, other than that, I don't have any other ideas what what he is. And I, I agree what you guys said in terms of Bishop is such an interesting uh, big bad, and it'll be fun to get to to see him. I actually like him. I kind of want to root for him right now because uh, he is that weird, <laughs> that weird spunky but crazy, and he just wants to you know save the world with a bunch of Ava. It's not that bad. Well. I will say the actor is incredibly charismatic, so the menace that appears at times is is incredibly interesting. Um, I, I like his dynamic a lot with Sarah. Uh, he's going to be really fascinating to watch. Uh, yeah, and he's definitely a, a bigger threat than he sort of seemed at least in the first episode where he was just you know he was like kind of charming and that sort of thing and and a little aloof but uh this time around clearly he's a man with a plan and uh he's willing to do anything to make sure his plan comes to fruition uh, and I will co-sign with the love for Ava because Jess McCallan was spectacular as a nurse Ava, the little bit of, like, the tidbit of information that we got about Ava, the Avas, in this episode worries me for the future. Because basically what we were sort of told is that at the end of the day, the Avas will fall in line with Bishop because Bishop is their creator. Uh, he also referenced that they do have some flaws to try to make them human and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, they will fall in line. So does that mean, at a certain point, whenever our storylines you know, come to a head, will we see our Ava fight with Bishop? And by with, I mean alongside Bishop. What do we think? Uh, I'll leave that as a question for both of you, just whomever wants to answer it. Well, no one wants to answer it. Millie, you answer it. I think I see it going as, I, I mean, because 
it always goes that way. I think they're going to go against him. He's going to want them to fight with him, and then um, I think they're going to turn against him, so he's going to be outnumbered. Because, you know, trying to create your own army never goes well. Well, there you go. Avis of the Galaxy, get in formation. Okay. I like it. Was there anything that I missed? A teeny tiny little moment? Anything that either of you would like to mention before we head into the MVP? All right, let's do it. MVP, most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. The professor has been conspicuously quiet, so uh, you may go first. Who's your MVP and why? Oh, you've fallen into my trap. Ha <laughs> ha, you fool. Oh. I remained silent while you guys were praising Ava because I knew she was going to be my MVP pick. Uh, and you fell into my trap, so <laughs> I get to pick Ava. Nurse Ava was a goddamn delight. I've said before, Jess McCallan is supremely funny. They don't give her enough really funny stuff to do. Her Nurse Ava was fantastic. The, the, uh, the confetti throwing, uh, everything about her was great. The, the Winona Earp uh, references were great. Uh, but also, I'm giving it to Ava as a block because we found out there's also an AV Ava. How funny is that? And as I said before, when Ava transformed into her animated creature, it was a binder. So appropriate for Ava. Um, just, but Jess McCallan was just so knockdown funny, you know, in, in that nurse role. Uh, and, and like when she revealed the fact that, you know, that uh, it, it had been a manipulation and it was just the nightlight, the way she held, oh my God, everything she did was just priceless. I co-sign. Very good choice. Millie, what about you? Your MVP and why? I think I'll have to give it to Bishop. I was so not expecting him to be him. And then I think he was really delightful. I think the actor did a great job. I'm excited to see what he can be as the big bad um, and how and how that does and what he has plans for Ava and, and for Sarah. And I think I just like how it it all connects, you know, it's like we see shot about the clones way back when to see that he's the mastermind behind all of it. Um, it's really exciting. And like I said, he was just a fun guy to watch in the first place. I co-signed that as well. Uh, as we like to say, you know, we can always tell when an actor's having fun, especially when they're a villain having fun and uh, clearly he's having a blast. So I'm going to give the MVP and it's kind of the obvious choice, but I feel like she does deserve it. I'm going to give it to Astra. I really, really loved what Olivia Swan did in this episode as Astra. Astra does not, for whatever reason, seem to get a lot of love on the social meds. Uh, for some reason, people don't seem to really enjoy the character. And uh, to be quite honest, they didn't really enjoy um, uh, Zari 2.0 either in the beginning. But, uh, you know... Everyone, including all of us, have come around to her uh, over time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for, for whatever reason, she just hasn't clicked with uh, the folks online. But uh, I'm really enjoying her. I enjoyed her interpretation in this episode. I really felt bad for her. And I, I completely understood why she was tempted by uh, the magic and, and that sort of thing. I thought that was played really well by Olivia, the animation, um, and, and uh, her sort of having to act with just her voice was beautifully done by her. And uh, at the end of it, um, 
her making the right decision throughout the episode, even though she was tempted, and then her getting a win at the end by, you know, sort of like finally being heard by um, Constantine, I thought was a really good moment for her as a character as well. My assumption is we we are going to see her on the, well, we don't have the Wave Rider at the moment, but, you know, when the Wave Rider shows up, uh, hopefully we see her on the Wave Rider and really integrating a bit more with the Legends. Uh, I want to see various pair-ups with Astra, like we do with the characters, you know, like, like an episode with Astra and, and Spooner, or Astra and, um, and Zari paired up and that sort of thing. I'd like to see her mix it up with them, just to see who she gels with the most. That will be interesting to see. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 wave riders? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden wave rider. Millie Wood, where do you stand? How, how do you rate this episode? Oh, goodness. This was a very... I wasn't expecting what to see with this, especially with the title, um, but it took you through the whole gambit from serious things to an animated show... Um, all in 40 minutes. I was so surprised how much it covered. And it moved the plot forward, too. We got a lot of development on Astra. Um, we got a lot of development on what the big bad is. Uh, and, of course, Katie Lots did an amazing job directing it. So I think I have to give it 9.5 Wave Riders. Very enjoyable, very watchable, um, and overall just a very Legends time. Starting off strong with a 9.5 from the one and only Millie Wood. Uh, Professor, what about you? I'm going to archive it simply because if someone asked me, what is this legend show you're always going on about? What's it like? I would show them this episode. And if they didn't run screaming from the room, I would say, okay, now go back and start watching from the beginning of season two or season three. Uh, because this episode wrap, you know, it, it, it didn't give as I, I probably shouldn't archive because it didn't give enough time to the other characters. But if you're looking for an episode that really sums up exactly what this show is all about, this was that episode. So I'm going to go ahead and archive it. Interestingly enough, we didn't mention it, and I was hoping someone would mention it in the odds and ends, but then I'd forgotten about it until you just now reminded me. The line in the episode, you should start off at around, or, or you know, starting the, the, the series, that the, the Winona Earp thing, uh, and then she's like, you know, season two is where it gets really, really good. It's like they figured out where the characters are and where the storyline is and what the show is. I was like, uh, look at that. Y'all is funny. That's funny, funny, funny. Because we say that shit all the damn time. All right, Professor. We're on the same wavelength tonight, apparently. I'm archiving it as well. It was just fantastic. It was fun. It had animation. It was a really great um, character-focused episode. Uh, well, solo character-focused episode. This was Astra episode. This was the Astra episode, introducing her officially as uh, a wave writer person you know much like we have we have had in the past with zari and with all everyone else that joins the wave rider you know they eventually get their own solo episode and this was hers and it was incredibly done it was very well done uh olivia swan really did carry the episode uh, katie lots was fantastic as the director to be quite honest, because she was directing, I did not think we were going to get a lot of Sarah, but we got a lot more Sarah than, than I thought we were, and she was fantastic. Bishop is proving himself to be a really fascinating villain, and uh, I will co-sign the love for Jess McCallum. She was fantastic in her various roles 
in this episode. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Here's our announcer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Papichilo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Papichilo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at papichiloradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Papichilo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at papichiloradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Papichilo Radio programs by visiting papichiloradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, Gidget. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. I miss my blood pool. Don't we all? And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. Um, if you want to follow with me, I'm on Twitter as AppyAsyNerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Chulo Radio archives. Good night. <laughs>